Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys who are watching at home, and hopefully we, you guys can make plans to join us for that Christmas musical that Ronald was talking about. You know, I noticed uh, the other day, my wife has a decoration on one of our fireplaces that says hope, right? We always have this word hope splashed around our, our decorations this time of year, right? But one of the things I felt like the Lord compelled us to do in visiting this topic at the end of the year was to recognize 2020 has been an unusual experience for us. It's, it's touched our nation. It's touched our families. It's touched economics. It's touched global issues. We've seen suffering in all kinds of categories. Now, this has not been a year that features hope, right? And so maybe it would be helpful, and that's what we're doing today, is, is to understand how does God bring hope into our lives, into our lives that exist in a fallen world. I mean, there's trouble, right? There's stuff that doesn't go right. And somehow God has a plan to bring hope back to us, right? So a couple of thoughts here before we pray. One of them just comes from an encyclopedia, the, the biblical encyclopedia covering this topic. It says something about what motivates our lives. As hope is not the only activating and guiding principle in human life, right? There's faith, thankfulness, intellectual curiosity, bodily desires and needs, moral ideals, social interests, religious objectives, and zeal also motivate us. Hope, however, is a major factor among them and is ultimately associated with the others. None of the other factors spur us to action without some measure of hope or certainty that our action will satisfy us in a given way. Now, maybe you've never thought through what gets you moving, what gets you motivated. Why do you put effort in certain things, especially hard things? Right? You've heard the phrase, I've given up hope, right? Some people, they're in bad marriages or they're in a job that just has been years and years and years where it just won't change. It won't change. It won't change my boss, the company policies, et cetera. You know, I've just given up hope. What's that person look like when they go to work on Monday morning? What's that person look like when they go to engage the relationship that they're in, family or, or marriage or, or some thing that we've given up? You're not motivated, are you? It's like, I'm not going to extend myself. I'm not going to take steps. I'm not going to create conversation. I'm not going to try and make this work because I'm, I've lost hope. Hope is a very inner motivating factor. And when we lose it, it has a massive impact on our lives. Well, 2020 has been an interesting year to navigate if we're trying to feel hopeful. Uh, interesting. Every week as I'm preparing these messages, I, keep, I get stuff sent to me that uh, I shared one with you last week. This week I got a letter from a, an organization called CCEF. It's a counseling organization that we support and have been very helped by. And the executive director in his letter that came to me earlier in the week, he wrote it this way. A global pandemic, division in the church, job loss, quarantine, racial tension, anxiety, and isolation. When I look back on 2020, hope is not the first word that comes to mind. This has been a year marked by suffering, as I've experienced and as I imagine you have too. 
However, as I reflect on the trials of this season, hope stands out as a crucial need. And not just any hope. Hope you can count on when things are at their worst. Hope that will not disappoint. All right, well, that's, let's pray about that just for a moment before we jump into our passage this morning. Father, even as we are gathered here and as folks are watching at home, live streams, what a variety of life interactions has tampered with our feelings about what do we think's coming? What's in our future? Is it going to be good? Am I going to be glad for it? Am I excited about the coming month, coming years of my life? Or somehow is that feeling just not operating right now? I, as a matter of fact, I, I kind of dread more of the same. And I'm, I don't have something courageous on the inside of me that launches me into the future. But Lord, this is the stuff of hope. And, and Lord, it has not been an easy setting to live in this past year for hope to flourish. But God, today you're going to teach us something about where that hope comes from. Lord, we need to see this. That's why you explained it so clearly in your word. So, Father, we're here. We're available. We want hope to return into our souls in powerful ways. And we invite you to help us experience that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so at some point, you find yourself lacking a sense of hope in your life. It happens. Right? Nobody here should act as all oh, that. That's never been me. Oh, I don't believe you. Um, how, does, how does God get hope to return when hope seems to have just evaporated from us? Well, last week, remember, there was a group of people we looked at. We studied Jeremiah last week. There was a group of people that belonged to God, and they had, they had created a life for themselves that God turned around and said, you know, the life you created, it was supposed to be this life that drank from the fountain of living water that I am. Your soul would be so satisfied in me. But, but you guys have backed away from me in such a way that now you just dig your own holes and fill it with your own water and... and and you're dying of thirst here. Your souls are not satisfied. So God stares at that and says, my desire is to return hope to you. And through Jeremiah's story, we, we learn that God took a people and picked them up and moved them out of the promised land, out of a good situation, and put them in Babylon. And that was God's way as he wrote them a letter and said, I'm giving hope back to you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, for goodness, for prosperity, not for evil, to do you good. Plans to give you a future and a hope, right? So last week we learned that that God's got this, to us, right, a little bit of a mysterious process here to take people out of a, quote, good situation, put them in a, quote, bad situation, but that's God bringing hope back into their hearts, well, this week is kind of a similar issue. This week, we're going we're gonna to sit down with the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to go to a cooking class with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is going to introduce us to a recipe for hope that does not disappoint. I'm, I'm probably thinking this recipe illustration is stuck in my head because this time of year, my wife spends a lot of time cooking, loves to cook. I love to eat. All of us love to eat. And 
Uh, you guys probably have this going on, right? So there's this section in our kitchen that's got recipes in it. Uh, it, it some of them look like they came from an archaeological dig. I mean, you pull something down here and you pull it out and it's kind of like half ripped and kind of, it's together, but it's together looking like this. And it's her grandmother's handwriting, you know, from way back when, her old recipe that everybody loved. Well, Paul's got a recipe here for cooking up hope in our lives, right? So I put the recipe ingredients here. I want you to see them before we read the passage here, right? Here's uh, Grandma Apostle Paul, his recipe for hope that doesn't disappoint, all right? So we're going to throw in a few tablespoons of peace with God, critical for hope. Then maybe a dash of access to grace. You're going to need to have access to grace for hope to flourish. The glory of God is going to be in this recipe. Rejoicing. I'm very tempted because I'm not, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to all these in, in the coming weeks. We would spill over in the next year, which, I, which is fine. But I do think I want to get to that rejoicing one somehow. Today, there is a phrase in here that we are to know something. Paul's going to say knowing something, which means if you don't know this, I'm going to say today by our illustration, it means you don't know how to cook. If you don't know how to cook, you're going to be in trouble having a recipe. It doesn't matter. You don't know how to cook. Verse 5 is going to show us God's love poured into our hearts. So those are the ingredients in this recipe. Let's read Romans chapter 5 and hear how hope returns to us. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or as the New American Standard says, hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So get this, you know, just like any any good chef knows, most of us are good at showing up when dinner's ready, right? It's dinner time. That's when I show up. And there's something about my life that I want hope to be that way too. I may be in a circumstance, in a setting where just hope seems far from me. And I just, like I said last week, I just want a switch to flip. I just want some instantaneous solution to this lack of hope to just show up. And, but then when I get around God's revelation, he says, that's, that's not... That's not how I do hope. Now, I, don't want to, I want to say this. I think God can instantaneously do anything. I think he can. And there are some times that he does those things in our life. Just an instantaneous healing, an instantaneous revelation, an instantaneous moment. But there's a lot that God does that plays out over time. Where he heals us over time. He reveals things to us over time. He brings hope to us over time time, right? So, so what is this hope? What's this hope going to taste like when it actually shows up? Well, here's the Greek word that's used in that passage. It's translated hope or, listen, a desire of some good with expectation of obtaining it, right? So this is what hope feels like in my soul. It's a desire. I want something. 
of some good, something that I've labeled that's good and necessary, I want this thing, and an expectation of obtaining it. And that, that's the part where when we give up hope, we give up the expectation, right? We've given up hope. I just don't expect this to ever change. You know, we're in a bad situation. I just don't think it's ever going to change. You know, the government's never going to change that. My boss is never going to change. I've just given up. The expectation is where the trouble is. But I find it interesting that one translation says, a hope that does not disappoint. How many of you guys have figured this out? Your disappointment is extremely connected to your expectations. In fact, when you have low expectations, it's really hard to be disappointed, isn't it? It's when you take your expectations and you, and you start jacking them up a little bit that, okay, well, now, now I expected this and I, got the, and I got this, right? I'm disappointed now. Can, can you recognize this? Our, our world is fallen, right? So there's this disconnect between us and God that lives in the everyday places of our lives. And so at some point, you and I are tempted to put our hope in all kinds of places, and when we do that, we, we, we sort of set expectations in different places. We expect that that thing right there, if I could just have that, I would, I would experience good from it, right? This would be a rewarding thing for me. So we all dream of being, you know, being wealthy. You know, just, I'm, I'm going to find a job, I'm going to get educated, and I'm going to get, because once I get wealthy, see, there's this good in my, in my future that I can now anticipate. I have expectations, of good. How many of you guys know that sometimes money doesn't produce hope in people's souls? Or just companionship or friendship or, or marriage. I, I, one day I want to be married one day. And, you know, unfortunately, I've, I've sat with way too many couples that marriage didn't produce happiness for you. And you don't sound hopeful, you sound hopeless. That's why you've come for a marriage counseling appointment because this feels terrible, right? So there is this danger that we live in a world that our temptation is to set our expectations in places that are going to disappoint us. And yet God turns around and says, but I have a hope for you that does not disappoint. So it must be a little bit different, right? I got to let you in on this in chapter eight of Romans. Turn there real quickly with me. We're not going to spend time here. We just need to see it for the sake of, of catching God being strategic behind the scenes. Remember, God writes a letter to his people who are far removed into a mess of a situation to tell them, an affectionate letter to tell them, I'm the God who gives hope. I have a plan to give you hope. So just realize that right now, that's true for each and every one of us. God has a plan to give us hope. Now listen to these verses carefully. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All right, so you just, you just got a little bit of a sense of I'm looking off into the future and I'm anticipating something that's really good. It's a glory to be revealed in this sentence. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
Are you following this? I just want to, to, to bump into the fact that God brings hope through the strangest vehicles. Here is God tipping his hand. He says, hey, have you bumped into this thing that I installed in your world called futility? Have you bumped into it lately? All right, that's a real question. In 2020, have you bumped into futility here? I mean, just, I'm just sick of doing the pandemic thing. Enough already. I mean, can, I mean, we've had conversations. Can we just go out and do anything? Can we just go, can we just go somewhere, right? Can we go change scenery? It's just the futility of this over and over. Okay, we're going back to phase two. Oh, great. More of that. It just feels futile. But, but did you know God stands behind futility and says, did you know I installed futility in this world? I kind of just sprinkled it on stuff so that when you taste it, it it tastes futile. And God says he did that in hope. Right? Verse 21. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So God did something to the settings that are tempted, uh, tempting us to put our expectations in them. He installed futility in them to set us free from them. This is a strategy of God, right? And I know sometimes we're bumping into this, but we're not getting it. And we don't cooperate with God because we don't see the good of his wise plan. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. So even Christians groan inwardly. You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody groaned inwardly this year? Right? Just a legitimate question. Did you feel like as a Christian, you were out of bounds when you did that? Did you feel like you were letting God down? You weren't a real, you didn't really love God. You weren't really spiritual because you're groaning inwardly under the weight of this stuff. Did you know this Bible verse is about you? That it is telling you and me that we are going to groan inwardly. Even us who have the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, not some other hope, in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So listen, we are, we're all game here. I want to be gamed for hope to return to us, for hope to bring something to us in our lives. But, but God is separating us from these false places of hope in order to give to us a hope that does not disappoint now, how does God go about doing that? Well, that's the recipe that we're staring at, right? And there's a little key line here that's a little bit mysterious, but it's all over the New Testament, actually, right? It's that verse that highlights that God is going to do something that we're going to rejoice in because we know something. We know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. All right, so we just learned something, right? You can't jump from wherever you are to hope. Not in this passage. Now, maybe in some other ways, God will do that. But in this passage, God is producing hope in us by sufferings, endurance, and character. And that's going to bring to us a sense of hope. Now, 
I'm going to use the, the, this cooking illustration here a little farther. Some of you guys who are cooks, you completely understand this. Some of us who are eating are going to just get an education today. But why stuff tastes good, right? All right? There's this thing called caramelization that takes place when people cook certain foods. Now, if I were to take a poll here and you guys were honest and I ask, hey, how many of you guys love Brussels sprouts? Real quickly. How many of you guys love Brussels sprouts? One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. You could form your own fraternity. It's not a lot of you. Um, all right. So for the most part, we're mo- all, most of us have been raised to just hate Brussels sprouts in our lives. They, uh, they're torture devices. They're like mini cabbages that are bitter. And I don't know why anybody thought you could eat this stuff. Until one day, my wife cooked Brussels sprouts. And it changed my world. I now love, I gotta say, I don't love Brussels sprouts. I love what my wife does to them that makes me love them. Uh, I love Brussels sprouts now because of caramelization. I have to be honest. And, you know, if the chef here were honest, she would tell you there's a little bit of secret going on here. There's this caramelization thing. And those of you who are chefs know, you know, caramelization is taking the sugar that's inside that food and it's heating it to the point where you actually get to enjoy that. And some of them cheat. I won't say my wife cheats, but she does. And, and helps that process by introducing a little bit more sugar to that. You know, so if, to me, if you sugar up anything, obviously we'll eat it. But here's caramelization. Here's what it is. I wrote it in your outline there. The process of heating sugar could be granulated or the sugar that's contained in food at a high temperature. Right? It's going to involve some serious heat. So that water is removed and the sugar is broken down and then reformed into complex polymers, producing, here's what we're all after, a sweet, nutty, or buttery flavor in golden brown to dark brown color. This is dangerous to preach this close to lunch, isn't it? Try and stay with me. All right, so here the the science of cooking explains it this way. As the process occurs, right, as caramelization is happening, volatile chemicals are released, producing the characteristic caramel flavor. The reaction involves the removal of water as steam and the breakdown of the sugar. All right, so this is a cooking process in which what we're after in the end is that sweet, nutty, buttery flavor, golden brown color that makes you able to love Brussels sprouts because of what's been done to those Brussels sprouts, not because in and of themselves, Brussels sprouts are worthy of being loved. Something's been done in them. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks in the first service want to come over and eat Brussels sprouts. We just wanted to let you know, a lot of folks were interested in whatever you do to those things. Um, How does God bring this flavor to be experienced in our souls, this flavor of hope? Well, he has a process of suffering. Suffering is going to play the role of our heat in our caramelization process. Then there's this thing called endurance. That next thing you enter into, that's the volatile chemical reactions that are taking place while you're cooking. And then there's this next step called character or proving character where things have been broken down and reformed. And then comes So this is God's process. This is cooking cooking up hope with God in the kitchen. Let's look at suffering first. Suffering is often the word affliction in the New Testament. Provides our heat. Frank Thielman in his commentary says, Affliction 
would normally be a cause of alarm and complaint. But for the believer, they can form a reason for boasting because they initi- it initiates a chain of results. Endurance, character, and hope that does not end in shame. God uses affliction as an ingredient in producing endurance. So this, God wants to move us to a place where there's a chemical reaction in our lives. This endurance moment. So in order for that to happen, there's a reason why the chef turns the heat up. It wasn't just to warm the house. It was to do something to the food. It was to create this sense of chemical reaction so that the end product could now be on its way. And by the way, when you read in scripture, God's all over the place explaining that this is what he's doing. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 17. For this momentary affliction, right? Same word for suffering there. This momentary heat is preparing or producing, same word that we found in Romans 5, producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the Bible explains that there's something about affliction, there's something about suffering in our lives that is heat that God is now using in our lives to create something. That word produce, it means to work fully in our lives, to accomplish something, to finish something. So so there's something in us that's not finished yet. There's something about our faith that's not finished yet. And God has got a process through which he is taking it to the next place. And if you and I want to taste that sweet, nutty, buttery flavor of hope, we're going to need some heat in our lives for that to happen. Tim Lane and Paul Tripp wrote a book called How People Change, where they talk about heat in this process. They say, each day we face unexpected difficulties and even blessings knock us off our path. In it all, God works, listen to these three things, to expose the change and to mature us. Let me just take this, this quote apart for a second. All right, so we've got these three things happening in our cooking process. Right? We've got heat, we've got reactions, and we've got reformation, if you will. Right? So there is these three words. There is an exposing and a changing and a maturing taking place. Now, let me just ask it, because I, 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 I know this. I know this about me, and I can imagine it's true for you too. Um, today is full got a lot going on and tomorrow's coming and the next few days have got more than I can keep up with. So just coming up for air is going to be my priority if I can pull that off. So in some ways I stop, I stop paying attention to the chef and what he's cooking in my life. I just, I just, I'm just trying to get through the schedule. So if I ask you these questions, do you have a quick answer for these? What right now is God at work exposing in your life. Right? That's what heat does. When heat gets turned up, it exposes things to us. And, and then God's at work changing things. What, what is that God at work changing in me right now? 
And in what ways is he maturing, right? These are three different things. I mean, expose is just an introduction. Hey, did you know this? Hey, did you know that was here? Turn the heat up and, ooh, I do now. Yeah, I see it now. Oh, living color. That, that comes out vibrantly. When these circumstances happen, when people respond to me this way, when this kind of trouble comes to me, oh, yeah, uh, that gets exposed for everybody to have a look at in my life, right? But then God's at work changing things. He's doing that right now. There are things in your life that are changing in your soul because God's cooking in the kitchen of your soul. And then he's not done yet because he wants things to mature. He wants them to go to their fullness, to a point of completion in his process. And see, that condition is, is where hope thrives. So the God who gives hope has got a reason for bringing us through this. Let me get a little farther into this quote. He has not forgotten you or the promises he made to you. He has not left you to the limits of your power and wisdom in ways that are glorious, yet often hard to understand. God is in your heat. God is not absent from your heat. When you're in the middle of the heat, you haven't somehow gotten yourself outside the circle of God's love and care. God is simply taking you where you do not want to go to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Right? If you visited those guys in Babylon, they have been taken to a place they did not want to go in order to achieve something that they could have never achieved left to themselves. The heat will remain because it's a fallen world. We still need to change. But in it all, his grace is always present and always sufficient, right? I mean, unlike me cooking in the kitchen versus my wife cooking in the kitchen, right? If, if you walk in, in the kitchen and I'm cooking, you should just wonder what's going to happen next. Is he going to burn the house down? Does he know what he's doing? I never feel that way with my wife. She knows what she's doing. She's knowing why she's doing certain things. God's not an amateur chef, Right? He is bringing us through these processes, and, he, and he's as good as it gets. He knows how much heat. He knows how long. He knows the chemical reaction that's taking place in your soul, and he knows how long it's going to take for that reaction to go all the way to completion so that what he's trying to form in us can actually get formed. Right? So from heat, God moves us to this place of endurance, what I'm going to call the season of volatile reactions. That word endurance, in the Greek it's hupomone, it's associated with hope and refers to that quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It's an endurance that doesn't quit. Remember, this is God at work in us, right? This is not our human effort doing this. That word becomes a prominent virtue in the sense of courageous endurance. Right, listen to this. This endurance is never a complaining or despondent endurance. Right? You know that kind of fold your arms and pout kind of endurance? Like, yeah, you know God's at work, but you're as angry as you are anything. And so you're really not cooperating with what's going on. You just got a terrible, terrible attitude right now. Okay, well, that's not this word. That's something else. I'm not quite sure what word that would be, but it's not this word. What God is doing in this involves us cooperating 
with him. It involves us embracing and receiving that this is actually what he's doing. Now, now, little phrase I put in your outline here, if you've got your notes there, this is why endurance is hard, right? Heat, when first introduced, is often a very ugly and volatile situation. But the recipe for hope that doesn't disappoint involves time. It's a process, not a moment. There are certain things that are being accomplished in us that don't happen instantaneously. They require time. As we said last week, I, I wish there was this counseling moment that looked like, you know, we, we come sit in a pastor's office and, and we're just despondent and we're, we don't, we don't look forward to anything going on right now. We're kind of depressed. And, you know, the pastor gets it from behind the desk and he walks and he looks behind, like I said, under your hairline. And he says, oh, did you know your hope switch is off? <laughs> it's need to turn this back on. You know, there's no hope reboot button in the Christian life. You just get to just flip that switch back on. And now you're going to go from despondent, unmotivated to I'm on top of the world. It's like, no. God is producing something in our lives through a process. And what happens in that process? When the heat gets turned up, right? If you're literally in the kitchen, if you are reducing something, that's the technical word for what this caramelization process is doing. If you're reducing something on a stove, when you first turn it on, right, it just sits in the pan until the heat gets severe enough. And then some action starts to take place, right? You begin to see some bubbles, maybe a little spattering, a little spit going on coming from the pan. Smoke begins to come up from the pan, right? Well, you know, when when God puts the heat in our lives, stuff gets released from our lives. Remember that hope that God has that he would release us from the bondage of decay? Have you ever thought that God would cook some of that stuff out of you? That he would allow the heat of life to get turned up in such a way that, hey, I don't know how you guys are. I mean, let's be humble and honest here. When heat shows up in my life, um, you know, things like fear are the first smoke filters that come up off that pan. You know, fear comes out of me. I'm, I'm afraid of what, where this could go and what could happen next. Um, pride can come out. Comparison and jealousy can come out, right? I mean, here, here, you're on fire, right? There's smoke coming up off your life. How that ain't happening to this one? How come they don't ever have this? Or you know, when that heat gets turned up and you become the worst version of you that you can possibly imagine because you know, you look like a boiling mess right now, and you stare over at somebody else and you compare yourself and you can't stand their latest Instagram post because you look like you're on fire. Stuff comes out of us in those moments. Stuff gets revealed. Stuff gets exposed in these moments. Now listen, I've watched my wife cook some really good stuff. I've watched her reduce things into a flavor that is like second to none. I remember years ago, there was a dear couple in the church. You guys will remember Ann and Brian Elks. Some of you guys have been around for a while. Well, Brian had this sauce that he would make. He called it knuckle biter sauce. And he introduced it to us at a 4th of July party one time. And he had brought some like uh, grilled pork 
over and you put this knuckle biter sauce on there and literally you'd want to eat your hands. I mean, it was the best sauce you'd ever tasted in your life. And he would not share the recipe with us for years and years and years. And finally, he shared it with Gina. So we have this secret, uh, and you know, Brian's gone to be with the Lord, but we have his recipe. And, well, you have to reduce it, right? It starts thinned out with a lot of material. When you reduce this thing down, I'm telling you, it is the most flavorful experience of your life. But it took time to get there. That thing sits on the stove for quite a while, and it just cooks things out of it. There, did, did you realize there are things in the way of our hope? Does that make sense? There are things in me, in the way of the hope. And quite honestly, that's the stuff that generates fear in me instead of hope. Anger in me. And, you know, I want to control things. I want to make them happen a certain way. I want to make sure the outcome and I'm really intense about it. That might get it's cooked out of me so that Character can take its place and hope can function in that setting in my soul. All right, so this is a process. Frank Thielman says the effect communicates inevitable progression toward a particular goal. And in that case, the goal is hope, progression towards the goal. Right? We're not instantaneous much of anything this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, instantaneous. Right? Everything's going to be instantaneous when we get to heaven. We'll experience glory not in pieces, instantaneous. It'll be glorious. But here, God is working through a process. And this process is kind of all throughout the New Testament, right? James chapter one, apparently James went to the same cooking class that the apostle Paul went to when he says, count it all joy. There's his rejoicing, right? Have a posture of rejoicing because you get the process. When you meet trials of various kinds, count it joy, rejoice in the heat, For you know that the testing of your faith produces, same word from Romans 5, steadfastness, which is the same word for endurance. The heat produces endurance. And let endurance, right? Now, we're invited into this, right? We're the thing being cooked, but we're invited to let this happen. And that's the difference between contesting with God while God is cooking and letting God cook. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? So there, there is this process that you and I, to get to hope, we've got to pass through endurance. This place where volatile chemical reactions are going off inside of us. Douglas Moo in his epistle to the Romans said, it, speaking of endurance, it suggests that stick-to-itiveness, which is required if the word of God is to produce fruit in us and that long-distance marathoner's endurance, which will enable us to run the race set before us to the finish line, right? Uh, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, that's, that's an ongoing thing. Endurance, he says, in turn, will, if our attitude is right, Produce a tested character. As a result of this tested character, finally, the Christian who responds to sufferings with the proper attitude will find at the end of the line that hope has been strengthened. Sufferings, rather than threatening or weakening our hope, I know that's how it feels, 
we might, as we might expect to be the case, will instead increase our certainty in that hope. Hope like a muscle will not be strong if it goes unused. It is in suffering that we must exercise with deliberation and fortitude our hope. And the constant reaffirmation of hope in the midst of apparent hopelessness will bring ever deeper conviction of the reality and certainty of that for which we hope. I, I know, right? I'm after that, that rich, sweet, buttery flavor of hope. Right, that word, I just, there's, there's like nothing to not like about the word hope, is there? It's just a great word. I like the way life feels when hope is vibrant. I like when it's in the air, when that's the taste on my tongue, this, this anticipation of good. I like that. But this is how God gets me to that in many, many ways in my life. He is doing this work. He's caramelizing hope in my life, right? And here's this last piece before we get to hope is proven character, right? And I call that pure concentrate, right? When you've reduced something down, you have, you have made the flavor to be concentrated in this. It, it is reduced to its basic components. That word is interesting, that character word. It's the word for testing in the Greek or watching. It, it means to become reliable, esteemed, valuable, right? There's, there's some stuff that when I know when you first put it in the pot and you taste it, it's kind of like, eh, eh. But after you've gone through the process and then you stick your finger in there, then it's like, oh, wow, that is real. It's valued, right? And so we go through this process. I watched Gina go through all this trouble because at the end, that thing right there, that's valuable. I'm glad we've got that. But you had to go through a process to get it. And listen to what, This word language, Theological Dictionary tells us about this word grouping. It says, the New Testament gives the group a special application in view of the situation of Christians. We are set between salvation on the one side and judgment on the other. They seek attestation, right? We're not there yet. We're not in the presence fully of God, having lived on the other side of the moment before the great judgment of God, that we are totally affirmed and aware and completely in the presence of God. No sense of fallenness or falling short, even in the conversation anymore. We're not there yet. But we're beyond saved, right? We got saved at some point for most of us who have come to that place in our lives where we've, we've received Christ into our life. Now God is at work and quite honestly, our souls are looking for attestation. Our souls are looking to be convinced this is real. What you have is real. It's going to take you all the way to the end. When you stand before God, you really do belong to him. Well, how do you know if you do or not? It says, attestation will be manifested in affliction. The pressure put on the church in this period when it does not yet see salvation and is exposed to assault from secular and demonic powers. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces this word, dokimi, character. Character produces hope. See, that, that 
last concentrated version of what God was cooking up, it's, it's that taste that convinces you that what you have is real. Your faith is real. Circumstances can't take it away from you. It's not dependent upon your own strength. It's not dependent upon somebody else doing right by you or, or, or everything lining up for your future. You've got something that's real in your life. Now, now let me just encourage, because I had a conversation just recently with somebody who was going through fire. I mean, they were in the heat, and you can hear the endurance moments taking place out of questions like, you know, this has just been so hard. Uh, you know, I've just wondered, do I really even love God? Do I have faith at all? This is what I'm hearing in that conversation from a person I know who does love God and who absolutely does have faith. But, but you know what's getting cooked in the endurance moment? Unbelief. Fear is getting cooked. So, you know, you're, you're watching unbelief and fear appear. And so when you see that, you start wondering, do I even love God? I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at these circumstances of heat, and I'm like, I don't know that I want to go through that. Do I, do I really love God? But that's normal. If you don't go through, that's a problem. Real faith goes through. Now, it gets cooked along the way, and it boils and sputters and smoke and everything else comes off of it. And you might wish that you could find another route and you could do this differently. But when you survive the fire and you have a love for God, and an affection for eternity, and worship is in your heart. I mean, I can think of some of the hardest places that I walked through in, in my life early as a Christian that so much brought a change into my life, exposed things, changed things, and matured things, so that when I got to the other side of that, I looked back and I said, I would do that again. Now, if you'd have met me when the fire got turned up in that moment, in the beginning, I'd have told you I'll never do this. I can't make it through this. I don't even think God loves me. this This is horrible, lots of tears and lots of pain. But having gotten to the other side, I look back on those things very differently because I saw God at work. I saw things that were glorious that God promised to produce and they were worth something in my own soul and into eternity. And that attests to me my faith is real. It didn't quit. It didn't give up. It made it through. But, but listen, if you're wondering whether your faith is real, you're probably in the endurance phase. You're getting cooked and there's a violent chemical reaction right now. And you're wondering, do I really believe this? <laughs> this is hard. This is a lot harder than this is more disappointing than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be this and this and this. I thought by now in my life, the list of really cool things would involve this and I'd have this and I wouldn't have that and this would be going this way. All right, well, you, you, what you just revealed was Romans chapter eight. You had put your hope and your expectations in a different kind of place. Not the hope that doesn't disappoint, but the stuff subject to futility that isn't gonna go into eternity. And God revealed that in this process so that what would remain, this concentrate, this reduction would be rich and full of flavor, characterized by a hope that can sit in a year like 2020, but still anticipates, my God is up to something really good. 
I anticipate a future with God being glorified in and through who I am, right? And this is the setting that we find ourselves in right now. Ask one of the musician guys. I'm, I'm still learning which one, which one of us is coming up here. Oh, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Crystal. All right, one more thought, and then we're going to pray and invite God just to find you in the cooking, right? All right, I put in your outline there. In the year 2020, life hasn't stayed in Jerusalem, has it? Right? It didn't stay. We didn't, 2020 was not like, hey, 2019 all over again, or 2015, or we landed in a different place. All of a sudden, we were doing life in Babylon, and it was a totally different agenda. It's traveled. As Alistair Groves said in his letter, it's traveled through a global pandemic, division in the church, job loss, quarantine, racial tension, anxiety, isolation. 2020 has provided lots of uncomfortable heat. That heat has brought forth volatile reactions in my soul. But don't freak out. Follow the recipe. Cooperate with God. Allow for time. Heat that gives rise to inner volatility and breakdown eventually gives way to hope. This is how God does this, right? The God who says, I know the plans I have for you. I plan to give you hope. How are you going to do that? Through heat, endurance, character, hope, right? That's what God is going to do. One last thought from Frank Thielman. This is helpful to clarify this. Paul says Christians should rejoice or exult in their difficulties, not meaning that they should be happy in their troubles, but that they should delight in what those troubles will do in their lives. Do you know the difference between those two? Because be careful, if you're one of those Christians who walks up to other people in their moment of suffering and doesn't get this straight, you, you, sh- you should speak and run because you're about to get decked by somebody, right? That idea that, wow, my life is full of troubles, and you stare at their troubles as though they're like this, this momentary foothill thing. No big deal, right? Oh, well, you should be rejoicing in those. You know, be careful. The Bible's not actually trying to make you think those circumstances in and of themselves are what you celebrate. You, you celebrate the fact that there's cooking going on. This is going somewhere. In the end, I'm going to stick my finger in this and I'm going to go, wow, God, that's really good. But I don't just celebrate the heat or the chemical reactions. We rejoice knowing the whole process, not knowing just your moment. So you're not called upon to rejoice because something tragic just happened in your life. Right? Doesn't that feel weird when you have a Christian walk up to you and tell you, hey, rejoice, you just lost somebody in your life. Hey, rejoice, you just went bankrupt. Rejoice. Uh, no, be mindful. That, that person right now, they are feeling the heat of that moment. What's coming out of them is the, the steam of fear or loss or grief is coming out of them in that moment. Just be careful how you say this stuff to each other. 
But at some point, it is helpful, and Paul helps us here to remind us God's cooking something in your life. And what's going to come out the other side, it's going to be sweet and buttery hope. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you that in in more than one place, thank you to Paul, thank you to Peter as well, thank you to James, telling us how you cook up faith and hope in our lives. Lord, we needed to know this, Lord. That's what this word was introduced, knowing this. We can rejoice because we know something about this process. We know what you're doing. We know where you're going with this. But Lord, I want to pray right now for every person here, for those folks who are watching live stream today. Lord, maybe the the only thing I'm aware of is it's just really, really hot right now. There's just a lot of heat taking place. And what's going on in my soul feels like anything but good. I just... I'm restless, I'm afraid, I'm panicking, I'm angry, I'm blaming, I'm jealous, I'm enraged. But Lord, I need to know something in this moment. I need to know how you cook. I need to know that even in that, that's, that's not a bad thing. You're, you're separating some things from me. You're reducing some things in me so that what comes is maturity change turns into maturity and growth and you finish what you've begun God in my life and then I I am then a rich setting for hope to thrive in my soul the kind of hope that goes into eternity the hope that's just not going to be full of disappointments yet again I hope for something didn't happen I I hope for that it didn't happen I was disappointed 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 Lord, you want to give us a hope that does not disappoint. So Lord, I pray for those who are here who feel like they've just given up hope, Lord. Maybe there's there's some folks here that are working through relational breakdowns. They've They've got a distance between them and a son or a daughter that they've not spoken to. Here we are in the midst of holiday season, and that's going to come back up again. Or maybe there's some folks who are their marriages are just in a bad place. They, they just feel like they're just not motivated to do anything. They've given up hope. And what's, what's coming out of that moment is just hard and discouraging. Lord, if we're going to feel different, which is what rejoicing is, if we're going to feel different about this, we need to know something. That in our afflictions, endurance is being produced. And in our waiting and the time it's taking in this enduring character is being produced. And the outcome of those things is a hope that does not disappoint. So Father, for each of us here who've got our own story, young and old, of facing disappointments in this year of 2020, Lord, would you bring this process, Lord, We just want to see you, Lord. We want to see you with your apron on, cooking intentionally 
in this moment. And Lord, ultimately, I don't know of any person who enjoys what's been properly cooked more than the chef when he tastes from our lives. Lord, would it be that you would taste from our lives hope that we are people in no matter what circumstance we find ourselves, we taste like hope. For that's what you have been cooking into our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You guys at home, we certainly miss you and we are praying for you and looking forward to seeing you. Hey, don't forget the Christmas program will be live streamed and it's going to be multiple times in person. So we certainly hope you can join us in person. But if not, invite folks to be with you, maybe watch together or come join you and join us on December 20th and 21st to watch brokenness turn into hope. See you guys then.